guys and welcome to Mind on the Game, the first episode in another new series of the Just Checking In podcast. Sport has been a massive part of my life since I was old enough to go to my first live football game or pick up a cricket bat. It has given me some of the best memories in my life. However, the negative side of sport has also given me some of my worst memories and mental health experiences. In this new Watson All Sports series, I'll be checking in with men and women from across the sporting landscape. I'll find out what sport means to them and the impact it's had on their mental health, both positively and negatively. Each pod will discuss their sporting journeys, their mental health, and how they keep their mind on the game. For this first episode, I could have easily tried to get a celebrity or professional sportsman on. However, at its heart, this pod is about normal people with extraordinary stories who aren't in the spotlight all the time. That's why the first special guest for Mind on the Game is a very old friend of mine, Alex May. Me and Alex played cricket together, but the sport that's given him joy, purpose and identity is rugby. Alex is captain of the men's fourth team at North East London Rugby Club, Eton Manor. Alex started playing rugby relatively late, but I'm sure he'll tell you it was one of the best decisions he ever made. Dressing room culture, grief, identity, stepping out of your comfort zone and more are all on the menu. This is how our check-in went. Alex, welcome to Mind on the Game, mate. Thanks so much for coming on. To be honest, it's just good to have a chat with you more than anything because I haven't seen you in so long. How are you doing, mate? And how are you kind of adjusting to this, I guess, new, crazy, normal, weird, normal that we're living in? It's not been too bad, to be honest, mate. It's definitely got better in the last few months or so. I feel like now we're allowed to be able to do more things. This is the first time, actually, that I've done a proper pre-season rugby training. So that's definitely helped. Although I may not be able to play with the boys, I could definitely train with them. We can do more and more at training. That's, that's definitely helping to get my rugby fit, especially now that Premiership Rugby's back on the TV as well. And how has pre-season been? Tough. First couple of weeks, everybody was at the start of lockdown. Everybody was cracking on the fitness hype, or a lot of people were, me included. And that, as it got a bit later on, sort of like May, June time, it was, no, I, I can't be asked for this. First couple of pre-season sessions back, I could barely walk the next day through the stretches and sort of some of the circuits they were getting us doing. But in actual fact, on the last week's session, our first bit of touch rugby, that was really good to start playing some sort of live rugby, which was really good. We've got a lot to crack on with, pal. Shall we just get started? Your journey with rugby, it's fair to say, came relatively late in your life when we're talking about kids picking up a rugby ball and, and the ages that kids normally do when they get into rugby. Why don't you tell the listeners how you fell in love with the game and who encouraged you to pick up a rugby ball? I first started playing rugby when I was around about 20, so fairly late. There's two good friends of mine who were playing quite regularly, Tom and Luigi. I was fed up of sort of meeting up with them on a Saturday night, already half cut, so I wanted to get involved. So obviously I'd only played, I think it's the same with all schools in our areas. Rugby wasn't really top of the PE list. So we went down, I think we had a game on the Saturday. We went down with a rugby ball on a Thursday night with them both. I don't even think they taught me how to pass. It was literally just tackling and how not to hurt yourself too much when you got tackled yourself. Tackling is the most important thing in it, really. Yeah, I suppose so. Not putting your head in the right way and doing yourself too much of a mischief. In the same way, when you do get tackled, learning how to fall in the right way so that you 
don't hurt yourself too much, I suppose. Depending on how big the geezer is, he's tackling you. And then that was it. I was straight into the team on the Saturday. I had a chat with the fourth team captain at the time, Mike, who just said, listen, mate, it was, it was quite a big game. We were playing against Ilford, who were our rivals at the time, if you like. They were playing at that point, a similar sort of level to us. And I had half an hour out on the wing at the end. And I think at this point, Luigi was playing and Tom was injured at the time. He was running the line with a hip flask of whiskey, which is obviously typical fourth team rugby, that is. And as you played more, how did your love for rugby grow, mate? And what impact did it have on your mental health? Was it a positive distraction, you know, a new part of your identity? And we'll come on to identity and comfort zones a little bit later. But what can you tell me here? It definitely helped a lot straight away. I felt like because I was meeting a lot of new people. I mean, there's sort of 15, 20 guys in there who I might have met a few of them before after games and stuff like that, where I was out with some of the other boys. But these are sort of guys who were a similar sort of age to me. And I was going in there meeting guys who were some in their like late 40s, early 50s. But I felt like once I'd played a game with them, I felt like I'd been accepted as one of the gang, if you like, one of the family. And even guys who that I'd met before, I felt like because I played rugby with them, our friendship developed, if you like, from that point. It felt like we were that shared a bond now. And when you joined Eaton Manor, obviously you said you were accepted pretty much almost straight away, which is really good from a mental health perspective. Were you ever anxious before joining and was it a big step out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I mean, I'd never played full contact sport of any form ever before. I played a bit of cricket when I was younger and a bit of football. When I was playing cricket, I was quite often scared to go in the nets. Down at once, some of the guys down there were pretty fast with a cricket ball, as you might remember. Same. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I'll have a bow, I'll continue bowling right arm pies. I'm fine with not having a bat. And I remember having a conversation with my dad before my first game. And he, he laughed at me and said, I'll oh, make sure you give me a call when you're at the hospital later on, expecting me to play and get absolutely munched. That didn't happen. And it was a relatively seamless transition. And let's talk about your playing career so far. So you obviously started off on the wing, but what position do you play in the fourths now? And what are some of your favourite stories or games that mean a lot to you? Or is there, you know, is there one or two that stand out? Maybe an important contribution that you made? And how is it received by the boys, basically? At the moment, obviously, now that I'm captain, I feel in where needed, if you like. So last season, I think I played games at winger, centre, fullback. I think I even had a go at flanker. But in actual fact, where I played most of my rugby last year was at scrum half, which is a bit of an ordeal from a fly half outside me. But it's a strange one playing scrum half. The people I've spoken to, they say it's not really one of those things that you can practice. The only way to get proper experience from doing it, this is just play it. So I'd like to think that I got slightly better at it as the season wore on, but I'm not sure most of my teammates would agree with me. Did you have to develop your chat? Kind of a tough one, really. On a Saturday morning, in typical fourth-team rugby style, I'm kind of sort of hoping that everybody's going to turn up, to be honest. So it doesn't really allow me a lot of time to take a minute to myself and, and prepare myself mentally. So I wait for everyone to turn up, maybe send one of the senior guys out to do a quick warm-up with them, and then maybe take 30 seconds to compartmentalise everything and then get my head the game if you like and before during or after the game Alex what mental tools or techniques do you use to keep your mind on the game I don't really think you have time to take a second during the game it generally just comes at you so quick so you just go with the flow maybe you have a chat with a ref to see how the scoreboard's looking how much time you've got if it's like time to bring on any subs or anything like that We should also talk about the bad moments because there will always be one or two for any sports man or woman, maybe even 10 or 11. If you could just tell me a bit about one particularly bad performance that you had and what you learned from it afterwards, more importantly. 
There was one point, maybe a few seasons ago, at that point, we were playing the very competitive league, if you like. We were up the top of the league and we really wanted to get promoted into the league that we were in at the moment. How the Essex Rugby League structure works, if you like, is that you have your first teams playing one pyramid and then all your seconds, your thirds and your fourth team all playing in another separate structure, which is called the Merit Leagues. And our second team are in Merit Division 1. Our third team are Merit Division 2. Our fourth team were pushing into Merit Division 3. And we were on the cusp of that and we were playing a big game against one of our rivals. Because it was a big game, there was lots of players available. I turned up. I'd had a few injuries in those last couple of months anyway. And turned up and obviously I got the dreaded TFC, the old thanks for coming and didn't make it onto the pitch. And made me think that although I was enjoying my rugby, I'd maybe not been playing for as long as sort of some of the guys who else were in the team that had been playing. And I didn't have as much experience and probably wasn't at the same level that they were so rather than settling for the 20 minutes half hour that I was getting at the end at that point I instead chose to sort of take a a year out from the manor and go and play for another local team down the road which are called Bancrofts who were not quite at the same level as the manor so I would get more playing time and I spent maybe probably six months to a year playing with them I went to a lot of training sessions the standard was slightly different it was more about the social side if you like so training was sort of more of a chance to gel with sort of the guys that you're going to be playing with on the Saturday whereas a fourth team didn't really train as much so you, you didn't really go to training to be with the guys that you were going to be playing with on Saturday I played a year with them and I really enjoyed it I sort of fell back in love with rugby but I kind of felt like after about six to nine months in that Although it was nice playing with those guys, Manor was where the heart is, if you like. So I I then went back and joined them the year after. After a while of playing in the fourths, mate, you were made captain, like you say. Tell me a bit about how that came about and was it a big moment in your life? The captaincy bit came about whilst I was still at Brancross, if you like. My fourth team captain predecessor, Mike, had been doing it a fair while. He'd maybe had enough of it. He'd just become a dad for the first time, if you like. So I think he wanted to spend more time with the family rather than chasing people up, ringing them on on a Friday night, trying to put a team together. So it was myself and Mark, who I knew quite well in, in the side, we agreed that we were going to come up with a, a pact, if you like, to share the duties the season after, where I would do more organising side of things and Mark would manage the side on the day. As it turned out, Mark, in fact, moved down to Brighton in the off-season after. So I was started doing the whole role. I only found out at the club dinner when I hadn't seen the boys for a few months. So it was a bit of a shock to start off with, but... Looking back at it now, I feel like it's my baby, if you like. So I quite like having full control of it. And in all honesty, I think captaining the side on the day is probably the easier part of the day as opposed to organising it during the week. And what has been the most enjoyable part of the captaincy for you? You know, you said to me off air that you really enjoy being a mentor for some of the younger players and being that guide for them when they come into the side. My favourite point so far was how it works is that you have the Colts team who are sort of 17 and 18 year olds. They're transitioning into senior rugby. And in fact, there was a new player last year. He was 17, if you like, and he wasn't maybe getting as much game time with the Colts as what he deserved, if you like. So he came and played a game for us. It was pouring down with rain. It was a proper horrible day. It was wind gusting everywhere. It was one of those games where you were glad when the final whistle went. But I remember having a chat with his mum afterwards via text. And she said that he was in the car on the whole way home with a huge smile on his face, bearing in mind that we just played against Harlow, who are one of the bigger teams. And I remember one of the first things that happened to him was he got bowled over by one of the trademark 
rather large Harlow props, but he bounced straight back up with a big smile on his face. So he seemed like he loved it. Never mind making his day. It made my day as well to know that he really enjoyed himself, especially on for his first game at senior rugby. And on the other side, how do you manage the more challenging parts of captaincy and the mental health of your players? And how do you as a captain stop a player from getting a TFC himself and falling out of love with rugby? Or when you have to have those difficult conversations with teammates if they're performing and need to be subbed or dropped? Definitely one of the harder parts of it especially as I know how it feels to happen to that myself. So I'd like to think that because of that, I'm quite aware of what the negative effects that could have on other players. There was one point last season where we were playing quite a tough game. So I started with my regular players, if you like. And then because the 13 game had got called off, we'd been able to get a few of those guys in. So I brought on one of the guys who wasn't playing with us so often after about maybe half an hour or so with the aim of bringing it back on the player later on in the game but the time sort of ran away of itself and I didn't manage to get that player back on and I've heard from some of the other boys that he was a bit upset so I've had a chat with him in the clubhouse after game bought him a bit and tried to explain that the decision I made was for the benefit of the team rather than himself I said I was sorry that he didn't get more time on the pitch but I felt like at that point in the game I had to make a change and that was it if you like. One thing I wanted to come back to Alex is the TFC or the dreaded TFC. Now for the listeners who might not have any idea about sport a TFC is as you said a thanks for coming and it means that you get asked to play in a game but you don't contribute. So in rugby it could mean that you're on the bench but you don't get off the subs bench. In cricket it could mean that you have to field all day but you don't get to bowl or bat. Do you want to just tell the listeners about the impact that having a TFC can have on your mental health? And especially for kids and teenagers, it could even put them off the sport for life. It's happened to me a few times and you kind of feel like you don't add anything to them. You're not a contributor. And especially if you've driven a, or as the case may be, lower levels of the game, you may feel like you've driven all out of your way to sort of the far depths of Essex usually. And you've wasted the best part of your day, not even to play. And it's hard if you like. Makes you feel not good enough, doesn't it? Yeah. And it makes you think, is there any point in me coming back next week? I remember at one point it happened to me. But the next game, Mike made sure I started the next game. And as it turned out, I think I scored our first tries. That sort of galvanised me a bit more to say, look, this is what I can do when I'm given the opportunity. Why do I not get more of a chance, if you like, to prove myself? Exactly. And I definitely feel that feeling is what I went through as well, because you feel like, well, if I'm given a chance and I'm supported, and I've got an arm around me, I can do these things and I can prove you wrong and all that. But if you're consistently not given that and people just cast you aside, then it just makes you stop playing the game because you're like, well, what's the point of me wasting my days? I'm just getting told to make up the numbers and I'm just basically viewed as not good enough so yeah I definitely think it's not really talked about that much in sport and I also think that the exclusionary culture thing can lead to other examples as well it can lead to captains not talking to players who they deem not good enough or aren't on their level and it's such a toxic thing I think we all need to be just a bit more kinder in sport especially in clubs because people are coming there to play they're not coming there to disrupt anything it's all about enjoyment at youth level and club level especially dressing room culture is also something I wanted to discuss with you Alex When it comes to rugby, from your experience, how have you found it to be a sport that might harbour toxic masculinity or has it ever stopped men from opening up about their mental health issues in your experience? And we're just talking about your experience here. I I feel like within our definitely maybe at third and fourth team level in the dressing room, because there's such a wide variety of characters and a lot of the guys are obviously a bit older as well. So you feel like they're easier guys to talk to, if you like, because of the life experiences that they've gone through, especially if you've had a beer 
after the game as well. It may make you feel like you're more prone to, to open up and talking to these guys. In terms of guys showing their emotions on the field, there's maybe been a few instances where you've seen that one of your teammates on the pitch doesn't look quite at the races and maybe they might have let a tackle go through them or something like that. And at that point, you might be a, a bit frustrated with them for that happening to them and you might say, come on, mate, get your head in the game. But maybe sort of when you're given a time afterwards or during the game, you might say, oh, is everything all right? And it may be that they've had something happen to them during the morning of the game. Their mind might be elsewhere. It makes you think, so you then have a chat with them and get them to open up about it. And it may be something as trivial as maybe their car getting bashed or something like that. But it's important not to get too worked up about it because at the end of the day, we're all there to play a game of rugby. It's not the be all and end all of everybody's lives and that these people actually have other things to do, if you like. There's a lot of narratives in rugby about soldiering on through the pain and it's kind of seen as a badge of honour and big collisions or rewarding players who love a scrap or even worse. Do you think that has contributed in any way to men fearing being seen as weak and that translating into mental health as well or not maybe a a little bit not so much to our level if you like because we appreciate that all right these guys have likely got jobs to go to on the monday mornings there's bigger things at play if you like but i remember at one point when i first started playing that a player was in the change rooms after a game and he was looking at his arm and his bicep was drooping slightly and one of the older guys cushy he's he's quite a character in the club he said that's fine mate it's only a stinger a knock that you might get on your arm you run it off later in the day in the group chat a few days later it turned out that this guy had torn his bicep muscle right off the bone so that was an interesting tale and just finally Alex throughout these experiences how do you think the manner and rugby has shaped you as a person speaking to me right now it's definitely helped me in a positive way I feel like I can approach people that I may not have met before confidently I'm used to doing that maybe with guys that I've not played rugby with before so that I have to introduce myself with for the first time and it's definitely made me more open if you like We've discussed Alex, the rugby player. Let's talk about your own journey in a bit more detail, mate. So first of all, why don't you just take me through your early life, your teenage years and where you grew up and your adolescence and whether looking back, do you think there were any early mental health experiences that you can pinpoint? You know, who's the Alex we meet here? I feel like as I've got older, I'm definitely more at peace, if you like, with the person that I've become. I'm happy with where I am now, if you like. Maybe when you were going through your, maybe at GCSE level, at that age, you kind of felt like that was a big point in your life. You felt like you could make wholesale changes, if you like, to the person that you are. But as I've got older, you kind of feel like you're more content with the person that you are. Early on in your life, pal, you lost your mum at the age of four. And this was something we spoke about off air. Obviously, you were very young, but if you could... Just tell me a bit about, you know, how she passed away this period of your life and the impact that she had on you and your mental health. I lost my mum. She had breast cancer at the age of four. Looking back at it now, I kind of felt like I didn't really understand what was going on, if you like. I don't feel like I've got any concrete memories of her, which I kind of feel like is both a bad thing because you can't really remember that person, but also in a horrible way, it's also a good thing because there's no real painful memories. Losing your maternal parent at any age is obviously hugely traumatic and a life-changing experience. But as you said, the one, if you want to say it, good thing is that you almost didn't remember the trauma. So how did you and your family kind of deal with it as you got older and you kind of adjusted to that period, basically? 
I kind of felt like there was always a few people in my family, like my gran and my aunts that knew my mum very well. And they were always happy to talk to me about her, which definitely helped if you like. There's some things that I may do now subconsciously. And people say that reminded me just of my mum, which is strange because obviously I'm 26 now. And I lost her when I was four years old. There's no way that that could have been jumped into me at that early age, but strange. At this point, you lived with your dad and stepmom, if, if I'm correct in saying. You know, how did that relationship with your stepmom develop and letting that new maternal figure, I guess, into your life? That was probably tough at first, if you like, not necessarily through anything that I did, but in terms of the relationship, if you like, between my parents went together when my mom passed away, if you like, and my dad was married to my stepmom. So that maybe felt like there was a bit of conflict between the two sets of parents. Definitely as I've got older, I feel like I don't feel like there's any difference between if my stepmom was my birth mother or not, if you like. You said to me you've got one brother on your mum's side and then two other siblings. How did you adjust to having those new siblings in your life and developing those relationships? And has it been like a really positive experience as you've gotten older? So all of them are at least 10 years older than me. So that's definitely different. By the time that I'd gone to live with my dad and my stepmom, if you like, they were on the cusp of leaving school and the cusp of moving out, if you like. So that was different. But as I've got older, the age gap has really decreased and my relationship with them has got stronger and stronger, if you like. We're more likely to do things between ourselves, if you like and as a result as they've got older I've now got a load of nieces and nephews which is really great one of them they all range in different ages between the ages of newborns up to the ages of 20 so that's really fun if you like and obviously it's nice being called Uncle Al so growing up and navigating life as a teenager and a young adult mate are there any things that they helped guide you with when it came to sort of life experiences or kind of little things that you appreciate them giving you you know the age gap was obviously a bit bigger so they knew what to expect basically yeah, I definitely think they helped in terms of the exam period. They sort of just encouraged me to get my head down and do the best I could at school. I've discussed grief with loads of guests, mate, and quite a few have actually lost parents at your age or, or during childhood or teenage years. We've said a lot on this pod that actually grief might be more stigmatised than mental health. Is that something you would agree with? And if so, why do you think that is from your experience? Possibly, because I feel like everybody at one point will go through grief, if you like. So people may feel like it happens to everybody. So why can't you just, you know, deal with it, if you like? You maybe need like a week or so to adjust, if you like, but then there should be no real reason why you can't just get on with your life. But it affects a lot of people in different ways. I, my brother, who's 10 years older than me, he would have lost our mum at the age of 14, 15. I can't think how that would feel. That would be a, a very pivotal point of someone's childhood adolescence as they grow into an adult, if you like. That would definitely be a lot harder than the experience that I had. Given what you've achieved, mate, and you know the steps that you've taken out of your comfort zone and the captaincy at the manor, you've made such a great life of yourself. If your mum was listening to this pod right now, and I'm sure she is somewhere... What do you think you would say to her? I kind of feel like it would be a strange conversation because of the point where I lost her, I would have only been four years old. So I would have changed so much from that point, if you like. So it would almost be alarming. I mean, I would also look a lot different. When I was younger, a lot of people used to say that I looked like my dad, whereas now that I'm a bit older, more and more people will say that I look more like my mum, which is strange, but one of those things. If there's anyone listening to this pod, mate, who might be grieving and might need help or support, what advice or message would you give them from your experience and how you dealt with it? 
if you feel like you can just to open up to people, it doesn't really necessarily need to be someone that knew that person. It could be someone completely unrelated. In actual fact, that might help because they may feel easier to talk to you about that situation too. And it can hit you in different points, if you like. Sometimes I may feel like some of my friends have got like the perfect nuclear family if it exists, i.e. a brother, a sister and two parents who are both fit and well. Sometimes you may feel like you're... You've missed out maybe? Yeah, maybe even a bit jealous, if you like, of the fact that they've gone through life if you like and they're almost touching 30 and that they've not had to go through any major hardship but if you just feel like you can there may be times where you feel like you can open up more than others it may be like an anniversary if you like of be like a family member's passing that you would think about them a, a bit more I know that I certainly do around birthdays and things like that so that you feel like you're more emotional and you feel like you maybe you want to talk to them about someone it may even help if you've got like photos I know that's definitely helped me of looking through photos of old family members and trying to remember them if you like and remember the positive things about them we get to sixth form now mate a little bit after our cricket playing days together and you chucking pies and me chucking pea rollers who is the Alex that we meet at this point and would it be fair to say that you enjoyed school or enjoyed school as much as one possibly can at that stage I definitely enjoyed school up to year 11 I think that I kind of my AS levels I kind of dust around a bit and definitely didn't try as much as what I should have done during the period of exam leave that we were given in year 12 rather than get on and actually do some revision I think I read all the Harry Potter books start to finish though that probably wasn't the best use of my time and then after that sort of had to get my passing gear I went to Epping College and did a BTEC there and that was really where I sort of wouldn't say fell in love with accounting because that's kind of a, a funny thing to say but it made me feel like it was a career that I wanted to pursue and so looking back at it now it, it probably wasn't necessarily a bad thing it was probably what I needed at the time. You made the decision not to go to university now when the rest of us swanned off to start these new lives did you ever experience any fear of missing out or FOMO about it? Definitely you kind of feel like you're at home you're still doing your usual stuff you're at work now as well so you kind of feel like you were whereas before that you would see your mates at school or or after school if you like now they were at uni you were seeing them less often and when, when you did go and visit them on campus at their unis it kind of felt like it was just one big party all the time if you like you spend the weekend with them and you just felt like they were doing whatever they wanted and when we spoke off air, mate, you said uni wasn't the place for me and that having no family members who went to university might have had an influence on you. Do you think if you had had a parent or a family member who would have encouraged you to go, would you have gone or do you not dwell on it now? It's important not to beat yourself about things in the past too much, but definitely I feel like if someone in my immediate family had gone to university as a teenager, if you like, they could have maybe told me what to expect, if you like, a bit more, not necessarily what they were studying because that's different for everybody, but the change in lifestyle and, and how that it can help you grow as a person. I definitely feel like some of my friends who've been to university, it's definitely helped them not only academically, but change them as a person too. It's important to say that for any listeners, university definitely isn't the be all and end all for teenagers, although at the time it probably felt like it did, definitely felt like it did for me. Did you feel that pressure as well, mate? Yeah, definitely. In not my bubble, but in my school, it definitely felt like that's the way that everybody was pushing you, if you like. You were constantly being pushed by your teachers to do your personal statements, to go on uni visits. This was not even in year 13, this would have been during year 12 and to really think about what you wanted to do 
and maybe sort of the different paths that you could have gone down were, were probably not well advertised if you like I felt like a lot of the time I felt like it was uni or bust from a lot of the conversations that you'd have with people post sixth form now and you had to navigate your way into the big wide world you know who's the Alex we meet here and just tell me a bit about this period of your life pre Eton Manor and then we'll talk about the Alex post Eton Manor after I finished at Epping College I started an apprenticeship initial entry scheme about 19 years old and that was definitely a big shock to the system going to work every day getting on the dreaded central line but it definitely helped me grow as a person and into an adult if you like sort of going to work every day nine to five it instills a routine with you which I definitely find worthwhile. Was the pre Eton Manor Alex a different Alex to the one who joined it? I definitely feel like that. I feel more outgoing. I remember having a chat with my boss at the time called Clive shortly after I joined. I'd maybe been playing rugby for about a month or so. And I remember him having a chat with me and he said, blimey, you feel like you're a lot more open if you like. You're a lot more chatty if you like, because I'd maybe gone to rugby and I was used to the banter if you like. It helped me open up. I probably wasn't that outgoing as a child rugby sort of definitely helped me to open up more to people something i wanted to chat about you as well kind of builds on that idea alex is this comfort zones concept you said to me off air you were quite resistant to change as a person when you were younger and and enjoyed that routine i definitely enjoy routine for sure do you think that fear held you back at all and through rugby and perhaps other things have you learned to step out of your comfort zone more when I first started playing rugby obviously I've never really played major rugby before so that was definitely a big step out of my comfort zone going straight in at the deep end playing a sport which I'd had no real grounding in but I felt like what was the worst that could happen apart from being bowled over by a big person and getting concussed or something like that but you don't really think about that too much but it's not the end of the world sometimes you should make a jump because you kind of feel like maybe a life unlived in you and that maybe you should push yourself out of your comfort zone so that you can sometimes achieve some great things. Our final topic of conversation, mate, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly... How would you say your mental health is at the moment, circumstances including or excluding? Fairly good, I would say. I kind of feel like as a person, I'm not very up and down, if you like. I'm usually a happy medium. I've kind of, maybe at the start of the lockdown period, I was maybe a little down, but definitely as things have eased, it's been a lot easier seeing friends and that sort of stuff. And if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? The only real issue that I would say that I've lived with is obviously losing my mum earlier on. That's probably the only real thing, if you like, that I have to deal with. But as I've got older, that's definitely something that doesn't bother me as much as what it did when I was maybe a bit younger. And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that have worked and which ones that haven't? I know rugby is obviously a big one, but are there any others? Just chatting to people, I feel like maybe that your friends and family, if they notice that you're maybe a bit down, maybe just to feel like you can open up to these people. They're probably the people that know you best in the world. So they feel like they would know how to get not like something out of you, if you like. And you definitely feel like once you've shared your problems with them, that you definitely feel a lot better about it. I mean, it's, it's important to vent. One thing you were quite keen to talk to me about off air, mate, is this idea of acceptance and being able to fit in within groups. Now, obviously, this is something that I struggled a lot with when I was younger. And I think it's something that every kid struggles with and wants to fit in. Do you want to just tell me any stories about how you felt accepted into a group, whether that's rugby or outside of it and the influence that's had on you? Yeah, so it seems like it's funny to me. But when you first start, uh, definitely the manner when you first start playing for a team, you usually, unsurprisingly, it's to do with alcohol. But on your first game, you have to, 
down on a chair in a clubhouse and down a pint and also do things like you had to do them if you've maybe done something notably bad they call that depending on where you are that's either called dick of the day or sometimes wanker of the week depending on where you are and you also have to do one if you, when you score your first try for the club I've maybe been playing in the fourth team for maybe about three or four weeks and we were playing away to Brentwood I think it was and it was one of those freezing cold days the wind was howling all over the place and the ball was sort of lying somewhere at the bottom of the ruck and I picked the ball up and dotted it over the what I thought was the try line. It turned out that wasn't the try line. It was instead the five metre line, which my teammates had great pleasure in bashing me about. And so when we got back to the clubhouse that evening, Mike, the captain, said, well done to Alex for scoring his first try. It's just a shame it was on the five metre line. And at that point, it felt like I was one of the gang, if you like. I'd had my first boobie, if you like. I was one of them and that I could not only rip people about stuff, but they could also wind me up too. And how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or may just be struggling in a poor period of mental health at any time? If someone that I knew very closely looked like they were having a bad day or or maybe just looking a bit away with the clouds, if you like, if you say something simple like, oh, are you all right, mate? And they may say, yeah, I'm fine and that'll be the end of it. Or they may say, oh, no, actually, it's this and this and this sometimes people may be more likely to open up to you than others I think it's important to know that you're always there for a chat if you like you can talk to them about anything and everything you want whether it's issues at home issues at work anything really and how have you seen perhaps old attitudes to mental health especially amongst men compared to more recent attitudes this could be you know in a manner setting or this could be outside of it and the generational change between two sets of men and hopefully we can all get better and teach each other and grow and get to a stage where we're all educated about mental health i definitely feel like things have got better in in the last maybe five years i even feel like this podcast fred has definitely raised awareness within our neighborhood bubble if you like in terms of many people living with mental health issues on a day-to-day basis and that maybe you shouldn't be so quick to judge people if they look like they're struggling and a lot of the older guys within the bubble i'm in are a lot more in tune with things like that these days and that they'd be more education or awareness yeah maybe more aware of the things that maybe how they would have dealt with it I don't know 20 30 years ago when they were our age maybe not necessarily be the way that you should deal with things now if you're going to achieve positive growth and just finally mate what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in not just opening up about their mental health issues if they want to but also just be able to live a healthy and positive life alongside their mental health I think the stigma around being fragile as a man shouldn't be frowned upon as much. The old idea of a man having a stiff upper lip and being a strong person, i.e. you should never see a man cry if you like, it's prehistoric and that you should be allowed and welcome to open up in whichever way that you feel comfortable in doing so. Even if you see people, not necessarily your friends, but people, maybe celebrities that are opening up about any mental health demons that they may be battling with that they shouldn't be laughed at or shouldn't be ridiculed for. As more and more people are opening up about it, in all facets of the game. I mean, you've got old rugby players who feel like they were at that point. If you're having a bad day, then you'd be laughed at. But in this day and age, everybody should be allowed to express themselves. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this first ever episode of Mind on the Game. I want to say a massive thank you to Alex for being my special guest on this first episode and for checking in with me. As always, thank you to all the venters who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the social media channels you know. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it 
or please, if you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next episode of Mind on the Game. And remember, it's always okay to vent.